Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 253 being recorded on Tuesday, February 2nd, 2021. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Well, Jason, I gotta admit, I'm a little bummed out today. I was all excited to get the Amazon news Q4, we're going to see finally how holiday 2020 went. This is like one of the first companies reporting this cycle. So I was all excited for that. And then I got my legs taken out. Uh, Jeff Bezos is announced that he is going to move from CEO. He's no longer going to be CEO of Amazon. He's moving to executive director. So I'm a little sad about that. We've seen, you know, a 27 year run. He's one of our biggest fans of the podcast. So he's probably listening right now. So. Jeff, great 27 years. Um, it's a good run, and sorry to see you go. So I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna miss hearing uh, him, you know, talk about uh, day one and all his management principles and all that stuff. Um, so, but I'm sure he'll go do some cool new stuff. How are you feeling about it, Jason? Yeah, well, at first I was excited because I was hoping I wouldn't get all those like detailed notes that he sends after each episode about what he agreed and disagreed with. Um, but then I, I was informed that he's mostly stepping out of the, the CEO role in order to have more time to focus on our podcast. So so I'm not sure how that's going to play out. Um, but in all seriousness... Maybe we could uh, co-host. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jason, Scott, and Jeff show. He keeps asking to come on. We're eventually going to have to relent and let him on. <laughs> Um, in all seriousness, though, I actually didn't view this as very big news. Um, in my mind, he, I feel like he had largely already stepped out of the operational CEO role, like late last year, early this year. And then my understanding is he kind of became much more active and got reengaged specifically because of COVID. And so I feel like. Uh, he, you know, kind of sucked him back in. And now that he feels like he's, he's worked through the, um, at least the, the big first wave, uh, he's, he's looking to take a step back again. So I, I kind of view it as him kind of following in your footsteps and building a good company and then, you know, turning, turning over the keys to other operators. And, um, I, I think, I mean, he's still going to own a bunch of stock. He's still going to be involved in their strategic decisions. I, I sort of, don't think he was getting uh, the customer feedback um, the same way he was earlier in his career, even before this. So I'm not sure it's a, a huge difference. Yeah. Cool. Well, a uh, couple highlights from the letter he sent out. I won't read the whole thing, although it's uh, it's a good read. I definitely recommend everyone look at it. Um, so I'm going to just pick out a couple things here. First paragraph, I'm excited to announce that this Q3 all transition. So he's, you know, so this will happen in, third quarter um, to executive chair of the Amazon board and Andy Jassy will become CEO. That's interesting because um, Jeff Wilkie was for long, long thought to be the heir apparent. And then he left recently. So there's, you know, seems like there may have been some kind of a, 
you know, bit of a struggle, a secession battle behind the scenes. I don't know what drama there was there. Um, but Andy runs the AWS part, which has been you know, wildly successful. Uh, but he has, he didn't just come up through cloud computing. He, he, he's done a little bit of everything at Amazon. He continues in the exec chair role. I intend to focus my energies and attention on new products and early initiatives. Um, that's interesting because it does leave the door. You know, we've read a lot of these articles about him thinking a lot about Shopify. So that kind of like leaves the door open there a little bit. Andy is well known inside the company and has been in Amazon almost as long as I have. He will be an outstanding leader, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then kind of skipping to the end, he, he kind of talks about, you know, the last 27 years for the first five, the biggest question he got was what's the internet. That was kind of funny. Um, and then in conclusion, he says as exec chair, I will stay engaged in important Amazon initiatives, but also have the time and energy. I need to focus on the day one fund. Um, that's his largely, I think it's focused on homelessness. Um, the Bezos earth fund. That's one's obviously for, um, you know, uh, climate change kind of stuff and blue origin. That's obviously going to space and the Washington post, which is his, uh, his little, uh, newsletter that he has there and, and my other passions. Uh, I've never had more energy and this isn't about retiring. I'm super passionate about the impact I think these organizations can have. So, you know, I guess the, the, the bittersweet part of this is it is sad to seem leave Amazon, but maybe he'll kick into kind of like an Elon second gear here, you know, um, and do some other really cool stuff. So we'll see. Blue origin is moderately interesting. I, I feel like it's so far behind SpaceX at this point that, um, I don't know. It's not, I don't follow it as closely as SpaceX. So if anyone wants to read the letter, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. And it, it is a really, uh, well-written letter. He's, he's a good communicator. So I, I enjoyed the letter and there were some funny parts. Um, but Scott, I think we should put our emotions, uh, back, uh, under the, the desk and, uh, we should jump into the Q4 results. Yep, we don't get to 253 episodes without being consummate professionals, so I'm okay. Let's go. Let's do this thing. Good deal. Uh, so let's set, set the stage a little bit. Um, first of all, if we think about the shape of the last year, um, you know, of course, we get the the data from the Department of Commerce on, on uh, e-commerce growth. And so if we look at the last quarters of growth uh, for the entire industry – Q1, e-commerce was growing at almost 15%, 14.8%. Um, Amazon in Q1 was growing much faster than that, like 27%. Q2, which was the, the main COVID-impacted quarter where a lot of retail was forced to close, uh, e-commerce jumped from 14.8% to 44.5%. Um, so, you know, one of the, the, hugest growths in recent history. And Amazon almost exactly mirrored that. They jumped from 27% growth to 41% growth. Q3, um, gr the growth settled down a little bit, still twice its historical um, run rate. But Q3 e-commerce industry grew at 37.7%. Amazon grew exactly the same at 37%. Um, so we don't have the industry data from Q4 yet. That actually... Um, we'll get the raw version of that, the monthly version on the 17th, and then we'll get the quarterly e-commerce roll up on the 19th. So look for a show in the middle of the month from us to, to kind of recap what happened to the whole industry. Um, but, uh, part of the reason I've been excited, uh, for Amazon's earnings is, is, uh, they do mirror the industry so much that, that it's going to give us a pretty good hint of where, where the whole industry should come in at. Um, their guidance, uh, so what, what they told the market to expect was around 38%. So, 
you know, that would be similar to their Q3 growth. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where we were going in. And then uh, once the markets closed today, they, they made their announcement. Um, and the Q4 net sales growth was, drumroll, 44%. So uh, an acceleration above that guidance. So I assume that makes uh, the investors happy. And interesting, after the, the slight deceleration in Q3 that we saw it re-accelerate in Q4, um, there would have been an argument that because Q4 is normally a heavy e-commerce uh, quarter, it's harder to hit these really big growth numbers. So that was impressive. Um, the number, by the way, was $125.6 billion um, in sales, which uh, versus $87 billion last year. But what's cool about that, that is I believe that's Amazon's first uh, $100 billion quarter. So that's, that's pretty uh, exciting. Yeah, for the longest time uh... – we, you and I would co-present this, you know, Walmart was a quote unquote $400 billion company and it really hasn't, I don't know if it's changed that much. Is it, it's still kind of in that 400 billion, right? It hasn't cracked 500 yeah, billion. No. So hundred billion quarter is kind of like how big you have to be to get to Walmart. Now you and I would make the argument that with, um, third party GMV, they passed the hundred billion a long time ago from a GMV perspective. So it's, this is like just pure revenue, which is pretty amazing. So by GMV, um, I have to do the numbers. They're, pretty pretty honking big yeah yeah i'm gonna be i'm looking forward to that analysis um it's also interesting to me because these are q4 numbers you can now get like the snapshot for the whole year um and so from from amazon's perspective for the year net sales grew 38 percent um so you know again we care more about gmv but but net sales were 386 billion for the year um, versus 280 billion last year. So that's, uh, 38% growth or 37% growth, uh, uh, under constant currency. So not, cool. not a bad year. Yeah. And then, uh, so that's the top line. So that's what I would call a beat. Um, and then on the top line and then operating profit was expected to be 4.4 billion by wall street and came in at 6.8 billion. So that's, you know, uh, a, a paltry 2.2 billion more than Wall Street was expecting. But remember, Jason, Amazon is not a profitable company. Um, so, uh, so in Wall Street parlance, that was a top and bottom line beat, which is, uh, always good. Um, free cash flow increased to 31 billion, uh, for the trailing 12 months compared to 25 for the previous period. So that's 20% increase in free cash flow. Um, and this is all after, you know, they spent, um, I didn't see them call this out, uh, but they had forecasted that they would spend like 4 billion on COVID, um, stuff, you know, various like testing and then also, um, social distancing and partitions and I'm sure mask and all, all this kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, if they had done this without COVID, there would be another $4 billion down here on the bottom line, I, I, I imagine, which would have just been, um. Uh, yeah, astounding. although they also got a lot of extra demand from COVID, so it may be maybe harder to, yeah, to it was, net it was out, a fair trade. Yeah. Yes, fair trade. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then if we look at that for the year, net income increased to $21 billion compared to eleven from last year, so an 83% year-over-year increase of net uh, income. And, you know, when um, just kind of your basic math is if, you know, revenue is increasing 30 or 40% or whatever it is, and, and your net income is increasing faster, you're getting more profitable. Um, so that's pretty impressive to see an acceleration in your business and you're increasing the effective profitability of the business. So lots of, you know, lots of 
the thesis for this for literally 27 years is at some point this thing's gonna get so big they just can't spend enough money um, and the scale will kick in with things like you know hundreds of fulfillment centers and all this stuff and and that's turns out a hundred billion dollars is uh, a quarter is is really a big scale that you get a lot of efficiencies in a business like this yeah yeah <laughs> and then looking at the consolidated um you know, and what this means is looking at the segments uh, inside. Um, so North America grew 40%, and all this is without the impact of constant currency. Um, so it's XFX, as they say. Um, and then international grew 50%. And I have to go – we have the, the intern uh, – the interns are off tonight. Um, but I am pretty sure we haven't seen international growth since, like, maybe 2017 when they started to really juice India. Um, so international usually is lagging the, the North America by five percentage or points or so. So this is really interesting and, um, we'll dig into it a little bit more. I, I need to kind of parse through, um, the, the K, uh, and the Q when they come out. Um, they do have a little bit more country data inside of those uh, than they have at this point, but I'll save that for a future show. I'm intellectually curious, like what's going on in international to cause that, you know, was it, the COVID bump um, was delayed internationally compared to the U.S. Um, or, you know, I, I don't know. Well, I, I, I'm really curious to dig into that international number. And then, um, so that's the quarterly view. Um, and then when we look at the annual view, um, consolidated, uh, as you mentioned, year year, Amazon grew 38%. North America was at 38%. And that surge at the end made international uh, at 40%, just a hair um, more than um, than North America. Yeah, and it's interesting because you know uh, North America is quite a bit larger than international still, so you you'd almost expect international to be growing faster. Um, so uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see if they they provide any more detail. Like, did COVID have a bigger impact on uh, Q four internationally for some reason, or or is it just you know that they open up more markets? I I don't know. Um, but one of the interesting things is to kind of look how the revenue breaks down. So if uh, if you look at that net sales growth by segment, forty six percent growth in online retail. So that's uh, for them. That's one P sales. Um, they do break down physical stores separately, which only I'm interested in. Uh, and uh, continuing a trend, physical stores is the only thing in history to ever go down for Amazon. Um, and it, it went down 8%, which is pretty material, right? It's mostly Whole Foods. Um, and 8% is a pretty big drop, uh, especially in grocery, which – like on average went up 20% thanks to COVID. Uh, but I, what I think is happening here is for any other grocer, um, their sales went way up, but it disproportionately skewed to e-commerce. And at Amazon, when you order something online and it's delivered from a Whole Foods sale, it it shifts from being a, store, a physical store sale to a digital sale. So I think um, that 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 is kind of gumming up the works when you look at this negative eight number. Um, Third-party sales, uh, you know, were uh, growing even faster, which has been the the, the trend lately. So they're growing at 57%. Uh, subscriptions, which is like uh, Amazon Prime, uh, grew at 35%. Uh, AWS is maybe the first business at Amazon that seems like it might 
start to have some impact of large numbers because while it's it's still growing very healthily, its its rate of growth is slowing. So it was at twenty eight percent, and then to me, the most surprising number, and we'll we'll un, uh, unpack this a little bit later. But the 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 biggest surprise in all this was uh, what Amazon calls other, which which we believe is mostly advertising revenue, um, and it was the the biggest growth of all it was 66 percent so that's pretty remarkable and we'll talk about that a little bit more later um when you look at that mix it's about 61 percent to north america 27 percent international and 12 percent to aws is kind of how the revenue breaks down but don't spend too much time thinking about that because uh if you if you refactored it at gmv it would look a little different yeah and then um, speaking of my favorite topic, third-party marketplaces, that that growth of 57% uh, made the unit mix of marketplaces hit a new high-water mark of 55%. That's the first time we've seen it hit 55%. It does typically tick up into the, uh, you know, a, a high level in the fourth quarter because uh, Amazon leans on its army of entrepreneurs to help satisfy all of that holiday demand. Um, so that's uh, as a third party marketplace guy, I can remember when we were at like uh, 33% and it's pretty amazing to see it get to 55. I always felt like Amazon would balance it more at 50. So it's interesting to see it kind of cross over there. I, I wonder, you know, my bet is they have some data that makes them more comfortable increasing those sales from a customer experience standpoint. Like maybe in the early days, third party sellers weren't quite there as, you know, obviously you have FBA, but even then like maybe seller fulfilled prime and that kind of stuff is, is helping nudge that number because Amazon feels good about the customer experience. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the, the trends, uh, themes in Jeff's letter was this thing that like when you invent something crazy new, it seems, completely implausible at first and then if if it's a wild success it it, one day it seems routine and that's the biggest compliment you can ever get and i i feel like third-party marketplace is the perfect example of that that it was like hugely controversial and somewhat unlikely when it was launched and now it's just like oh ho hum it's 55 percent of our sales yeah absolutely so that's kind of some of the highlights of the quarter. We'll, we'll uh, kind of from the marketplace retail side, and then we'll cover some of the other categories. But um, it's also interesting to look at the guidance. So um, this is where uh, Amazon tells Wall Street, here's kind of what we're expecting for Q1 of 2021. Um, so I always, uh, this is always interesting because, um, you know, it factors in at, at this point, they've obviously seen most of January's results internally. So they, they have, you know, a third of the quarter kind of like under their belt and they, they can make some predictions there. So they said net sales are expected to be between 100 and 106 billion, um, which is uh, booked in a growth of 33 to 40%. So 36 at the midpoint. So definitely a step down from that kind of 44% that they saw, but they always, they always kind of do this. This would be called quote unquote conservative guidance or sandbagging. Um, Possibly. Um, One of the things that is challenging, I can speak from experience is, um, you know, everyone feels like, we're going to get a break in this whole COVID thing, but no one knows when it's going to come. You know, uh, you read some things that say maybe this summer, and then you see other things that say we're not going to return to normal ever. So that makes it very hard to forecast. Um, we'll have to do a whole show on where you and I fall. <laughs> um, uh, 
so before this announcement, Wall Street was thinking Q1 would be more like 92 to 100 billion. So they kind of have, this is called raise uh, a beat. So they beat the current quarter and then they raise the future quarter. So, so this nudges the future quarter, uh, which is Q1 2021, um, to well beyond that, that, previous Wall Street range. So um, it's going to be interesting. Um, there's a lot of focus on the stock market with all the craziness going on with Reddit people and GameStop and all. So, you know, the aside from that, the Amazon, you've got, you know, this really smashing beat and raise kind of thing going on, but then Jeff uh, kind of quote unquote leaving. So it'll be interesting to see what the stock does. I looked after market and there wasn't really, it was kind of flat, which is interesting because I would have expected they, they beat expectations so high, I would have expected kind of like a 5% bump. But so I think the headwind of, of Jeff um, moving is, is put a wet blanket on that. Uh, looking at the forecast for the bottom line, operating income is expected between three and 6.5 billion, huge range there. Again, kind of probably that COVID uncertainty. Um, and then wall street had that at 5.4. So that one I would say is in line. Um, it does feel, this one feels pretty sandbaggy. Um, so I, I think they'll pretty easily, um, beat that one. Um, and then they said, um, approximately they're forecasting about 2 billion of costs related to COVID, which is, which is down. And I think, I think part of that is some of these things, have, you know, are, have to be replenished, like testing where you're constantly doing it, but other things like any changes they've made to the workstations at fulfillment centers or the driver schedules or any of those things are largely in the rear view and, and already investments they've made. One other tidbit I thought thought interesting is because sometimes we struggle, um, you know, at, at my various companies to hire like five or 10 people. Um, Amazon hired 175 people in the quarter, 175,000 people in the quarter. Um, so, you know, they have well over a million people right now. Um, and then that 175,000 people they hired in Q4 is three times what they hired in the same period of 2019. So just like, just like imagine the infrastructure you'd have to have to hire 175,000. I, I can't even like how many recruiters do you have to have? And, you know, HR sign up people. <laughs> I, I, you know, they just must have these wildly, it must be the recruiters must just be robots or something. Cause I, I just don't know how you scale something like that. Uh, that's just mind boggling to me. Uh, they do not break out how many of those are, are, you know, kind of more kind of corporate type folks versus warehouse folks. Uh, I do imagine a big chunk is warehouse, but you know, they are hiring corporate people, uh, at just a, a crazy clip uh, as well. So there's, there's, uh, there's definitely a mix of that in there also. How about I know one of your favorite categories to look at is the ads slash other business. What'd you see there? Yeah. So we talked about that. It was up uh, unexpectedly 66. I mean, we all expected it to grow, but 66% certainly exceeded my expectations. Uh, that means if you add up the uh, ads tend to be sort of seasonal. People spend more money on advertising in Q4 than other uh, other quarters. Um but if you add up the last four quarters of Amazon's other, uh, it it was twenty one and a half billion dollars, um, and I can tell you that that is wildly above anyone's aggressive estimates for Amazon's advertising business in twenty twenty. Um, so it's it's really impressive. You know, we've already talked about the fact that they were the the third largest uh, digital advertising network behind Facebook and Google. Um, they, they are, uh, Facebook also had a pretty good quarter, but the Amazon is doing remarkable. Um, 
Uh, to put it in perspective, that's about seven times like Twitter's advertising revenue. Um, and one of the things that's interesting to me here is uh, – that there are actually some good tailwinds for this business to grow even more for Amazon. Uh, in the advertising industry, one of the, the biggest news things, and, uh, and it's getting a lot of ink right now, is um, Apple is changing the way that that third parties can track mobile app uh, mobile user IDs in the apps. Um, they have to be uh, more overt about it, and a lot of a lot of apps are choosing not to do that. A lot of the browsers are turning off this tracking mechanism that's called third-party cookies. And the cumulative effect of those two changes, third-party cookies and app mobile app IDs, are uh, that a lot of the advertising vehicles that that brands use to target their ads, and particularly those like retargeting ads, um, are going away. So if you were Procter & Gamble and you are used to being being able to uh, buy a highly targeted audience, um, you, you have less tools to do that. And one of the, the best workarounds is to have someone else run the ad for you that does have a bunch of first-party customer data and knows a lot of consumers. And it, it turns hmm. out who – would- who would that be? That would be Amazon. Um, and so, <laughs> so increasingly that, uh, and I'll bet you a big chunk of that $21 billion is not ads that show up on Amazon. I'll bet you a bunch of that is ads that Amazon places on places like Google using its first-party data to target on behalf of people that have bought ads from them. Um, and, uh, you know, that that trend is not lost on other retailers. One of the most common things we see in the world right now is retailers launching their own media networks. And so, I, I mean, Ulta uh, has launched one. CBS has launched one. Um, and the probably the biggest one besides Amazon is is Walmart. They rebranded theirs this week. They It's now called Walmart Connect. Um, they had already kind of brought it in-house and put a lot of effort behind it. The The big thing they added this week is um, they did a partnership with a company called Trading Desk that buys a lot of off-site media. So now Walmart is trying to leverage that same trend that I just mentioned with Amazon where uh, you can buy uh, – you can pay Am- Walmart to use their first-party data, which they have even more customers than Amazon, um, and they'll they'll run those ads for you. And in Walmart's case, in addition to off-site ads and ads on Walmart.com, they're now also selling through the same network ads on all the TVs in the Walmart store and all the self-checkout terminals. So, um, so the retail media uh, space is really heating up, and Amazon is certainly. Uh, the leader and poised to to continue to be so. Cool. Um, so, oh, AWS, did you walk oh, with that? Yeah. Oh, and one other side note, uh, you know, if you remember way back to episode 251 when we did our predictions, one of my predictions was that that, that ad space would totally heat up. So I'm, I'm feeling good about that prediction So uh, in the first two weeks. Uh, Still too early to call. Yeah, it absolutely. Could, it could totally slow down for the it, next 11 months. Exactly. Yeah, it could turn out digital ads are a fad. Um, uh, AWS, uh, Wall Street was expecting just under $13 billion, $12.8 billion, and it came in, I think, right, uh, right at $12.8 billion. Um, we talked about that that twenty eight percent top line growth. Um, the uh, annualized that means AWS is uh, growing at about thirty percent, which you know again, uh, it's a very profitable business, and that's 
growing really quickly. Uh, I do believe that their big competitors, uh, Google Cloud Platform and Microsoft, are probably um, at or better than that growth rate, although they're they're both considerably smaller than AWS. So, so maybe they're starting to make up a little bit of ground. Cool. And then, so um, before we, uh, we wanted to just spend a little bit of time on some other news that came out, but before we do, um, you know, I, I felt like, so this is going to be interesting. So we, we have this first data point kind of in the mid forties, um, you know, historically you, you have this chart you have been publishing that kind of shows Amazon's actually in the middle of the pack, right? So we're seeing like historically Shopify has printed higher and even like BJ's and Costco. And um, so a lot of the omni-channel guys are seeing just this, this order of magnitude higher digital growth than Amazon, because a lot of it is movement of analog to digital. Um, we're, what was your kind of gut reaction to the quarter that Amazon put up here? Yeah. So it, it's interesting. Like um, they, they've made impressive performance start to feel somewhat boring to me. Um so they're a little north of where I expected. I was, I guess I was expecting high thirties. And so like four, you know, 44 seems pretty impressive, but, uh, I don't know. I, in some ways I, I always expect there to be some, some extra Easter eggs or some fun surprises in, in, uh, Amazon earnings. And I, they just, they just made it look too easy. Let's, uh, I'll put a little asterisk on there. This international, my spidey sense is tingling international. I want to figure out what's going on in there. Something's up. Yeah. One uh, one thing I will say that's just uh, interesting to me, uh, Amazon has always been this company that defied the law of large numbers, that despite the fact that they're by far the largest e-commerce player, um, they generally continu- were continuing to grow faster than most everyone else. Um, and uh, that that was certainly true even in Q1 of this year. Like, you know, e-commerce grew at 15% and they grew at like 27%. Uh, but COVID seems to have uh, helped everyone else's e-commerce, you know, mildly catch up with Amazon, right? So Amazon still has had impressive growth, but they've kind of fallen to the industry average. Um, and a lot of these other big players are growing way faster than the industry average. So, you know, Walmart, which is the second biggest e-commerce site in the U.S., grew at like 100 percent and Target at, at, at 170 to 200 percent and uh, you you mentioned like BJ's at three hundred percent. It's it's going to be interesting to me. Is that a, a a spike because of COVID and you know the fact that these guys are growing from much smaller numbers than Amazon and you know as as uh, the health concerns around COVID abates, do we do we see Amazon kind of move back to the front of the pack in terms of growth rates or is this the new normal that that uh, you know they're they're going to be the biggest, but but their challengers are going to be growing a little faster than them. It's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, I agree. There's a case to be made that maybe their gains are going to be stickier because the omni-channel guys will just kind of shift back to the store at some point, or will they? Maybe they'll stick too. Like you know, there's a lot of talk about Walmart's grocery and all that, all that jazz. So yeah, one thing that I will, will say is. Uh, all these other retailers that are now selling a bunch of stuff to e-commerce are having the same profitability problems that earlier Amazon had, right? So one thing that these other retailers are not getting is the the unit economics of scale that Amazon has. Yeah, so they're they're kind of on the other side of the the mountain and kind of on the downslope of profitability, and everyone else is like, "Holy cow, this is hard!" And there's a there's a, a big mountain in front of us to make this work. Exactly. 
any other closing thoughts on Amazon? Anything that jumped surprised you or that you were particularly excited to to read? No, I uh, I know uh, we've had uh, some news out of one of the companies that was on the show, so I want to hear your take on that. Yeah. Um, so two other uh, kind of news tidbits I just wanted to mention. First of all, just because we were just talking about uh, me dominating the predictions and retailers struggling for e-commerce profitability. Um, one interesting bit of news last week was that Walmart announced that they were going all in on these what are called micro-fulfillment centers or what uh, Walmart calls LFCs, local fulfillment centers. Um, so this is kind of putting uh, – uh, automated picking in a store to make that that online grocery pickup or that curbside pickup more cost effective for the retailer. Um, and uh, grocers have all been piloting these things, but Walmart's announced that they now have plans to deploy dozens of them this year. Um, and they actually said they're partnering with three different technology providers. So uh, Alert Innovations is who's been doing Walmart uh, micro-fulfillment up to now. And then, you know, two other good industry competitors, uh, Demantic and Fabric, um, are both uh, apparently getting some of the Walmart business as well. So um, that that is like one of the things you would do to improve the unit economics of, of digital grocery. And so it's interesting to see Walmart being a leader there. Um, and it's especially interesting because that was yet another of my annual predictions. So I, I'm feeling good about two of my five predictions so far. Um, and but, you're obsessed with the predictions this year. Yeah. How about, um, is Fabric, is that Fazzle's new company? Uh, is it the same Fabric or are there two Fabrics? No. Uh, so I think you're thinking of um, uh, Fabric is a Israeli um, – a f- okay, fulfillment company and Fazzles is an e-commerce platform. Um, yeah, they are both called Fabric, right? <laughs> yeah, and then the other um, bit of news that you you referenced is a previous guest on the show, Drizzly, just got acquired um, by Uber. So that was a one point one billion dollar acquisition um, for for. Uh, uh, folks that haven't heard every episode of the show, Drizzly is the market leader in alcohol home delivery, last mile for alcohol. Um, and that has been a, a, a little micro segment that has totally exploded thanks to COVID. Before COVID, the overwhelming majority of all alcohol was sold at, um, uh, bars. Now, of course, we're all buying, uh, booze to drink at home and a lot of us want that delivered. So, so, uh, Drizzly has been kind of a marketplace that delivered alcohol orders on behalf of clients. And, uh, now they're getting rolled up to be part of, um, Uber. Uh, you'll remember Uber bought, uh, Postmates for like 2.6 billion last year. So they, they seem to be taking some of the, that, that good Uber equity and trying to convert it into, other interesting businesses um and it the alcohol one is interesting to me because it's it it grew a ton like 80 percent this year home delivery of alcohol grew like 80 percent it's for it was literally only one percent of alcohol sales before covid it's forecasted to be like eight percent of alcohol sales in the next couple of years so it um it, it seems like it's on a great trajectory and it would be a good investment. The challenge is that there's a bunch of regulation around alcohol distribution. And a lot of the, the regulation got kind of loosened during COVID. And it's an open question whether, 
it's going to tighten back up at some point or whether it won't. Um, and there's also some speculation that some of these small startup companies weren't perfectly compliant with all the alcohol distribution laws. But as they get bigger, the the risk and cost of not being compliant is going to get higher. So so I, I would say there's some there's some uh, regulatory and compliance risk um, about these businesses scaling. So it's going to be super interesting to watch. So will there be a day when you get in the Uber and they offer you beer and wine? Is that what's going to happen here? <laughs> uh, I, I think this is more the Uber Eats division <laughs> than the, okay. the Uber, but who knows? Right. <laughs> Uber Select, Uber Mobile Bar. Exactly. Uh, when they merge with Airbnb, it'll it, they'll be restocking all those mini bars that they'll put in people's houses. Man, perfect. I, I like where you're going with this. Vertical integration yeah. around alcohol. Yeah. Um, well, look, I know we wanted to get this show out quick because people are eager to hear our thoughts uh, about uh, the big Amazon earnings. And uh, shout out to to Jeff that that was that 27 years was a good run. And we're excited to see now that you're up to speed um, what you can really accomplish. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everyone. And if you enjoyed this episode or any episode of our 253, we would love a five star review. Um, you do have to kind of go into your favorite podcast app. Uh, if you're using iTunes, that's probably the most helpful for us. But if you're on Spotify or any of those other awesome recording or podcast listening technologies, we would really appreciate a review. You could be one of our first reviews of 2021. How about that? That is super exciting. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 